0: Here is iUniverse Radio with host, Steve Jorgensen.
1: Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Our book today is titled, Embrace Happiness, The Art of Conflict Management. Our author, who joins me from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, is Ali Soleimaniha. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Absolutely. Ollie, from looking at your resume, I can tell and see that you are multilingual in your abilities. Were you born in Canada?
2: No, I'm Iran.
1: Your book, Embrace Happiness, The Art of Conflict Management, how did that come about? What is your background that that stimulated your thinking and uh, created this, this book idea and the concepts in it?
2: Actually, I was in the field of uh, management consultancy and uh, strategy implementation, and during that time, I... Provided several workshops for high-profile senior executives on uh, conflict management and implementation of a strategy, as well as negotiation skills. And uh, while doing that and uh, delivering those workshops for the senior executives, I realised that uh, there are lots of interest in the issue of conflict management, not only in the business concept but also in the personal lives and uh, the day-to-day life. Then, after a while, I was uh, more involved in the uh, issue of conflict management and delving into that I realized that the uh, the, um, conflict management is actually the core to the uh, success of a business because for every implementation and every change you're going to make and in your life you will have some confidence either with your clients your colleagues or your uh, partners in life or your uh, neighbors anyway. True. So uh going more into the idea uh, of um, understanding what conflict is and how to uh, resolve that, uh, I came across this will of uh, Thomas Kilman instruments uh, on how to manage conflict. And uh, I started using that in my uh, workshops and my uh, practices on conflict management and negotiation skills. And uh, w- while I was there, I realized that... Um, it's not only implementation, it's not only business. It's the life itself. You can uh use this in your day to day life and actually it's it's must it it's a must to do actually because and, uh, and you can see that in, in the book, that uh in the core of any happiness there lies a very successful management of a conflict. If not manage a conflict between your boss Or between your work and uh, balancing your work and home, you will have a big conflict at hand, either with your boss or with your boss at home. So that will create an an unhappiness situation when uh, you will not reach the happiness and total relaxation. Uh, unless you could able to manage this conflict,
1: you've managed to you managed to do this in 182 pages. One thing I do like about your table of content and your your chapter headings, they seem to be very uh, to the point. They're distilled. They're 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 accurate and very simple. Your chapter two is the life, and it has to do with equilibrium and other things. And then chapter three, what is conflict? A very basic uh, question, but you give. Some detailed uh, instruction on that. The sources of conflict, the roots of conflict, managing the conflict, conflict management process. You have done this in a very easy to read, easy to understand style. Was that your intent uh, at the beginning?
2: Actually, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, I really try to put myself in a position of uh, someone new to the concept and uh, try to. Approach the concept because I think the conflict is a very complex concept. Uh, although it seems very simple, but it's very complex to understand and not afraid of. So I try to uh, devise a step-by-step approach to uh, and deliver the concept.
1: Uh, this book is about the absolute most important thing in your life, and uh, how would you describe that? Is it is it finances? Is it security in a job career? Is it money? How would you uh, describe that?
2: Oh, actually, that was uh, that the story behind it. Um, telling it short, uh, I was uh, asking several people uh, that, what the most important thing in your life, and I heard numerous answers uh, starting from uh, money from job uh, prosperity from uh, health everything. When you collect them all together, the only thing uh similar between all of them is happiness. Because if you have money and you are not happy, it's not it's not good for you. You will not seek that. <laughs> if you are happy and you are not happy, you are not seeking that. So what we are seeking in life is happiness. It's not money. It's not a promotion, it's not family, it's not nothing. Those are all for us to feel happy. If I don't have enough money, but I have a very family, very loving wife, and a very healthy body and, and mind, I will be happy. And that is my uh, absolute happiness position. So uh, um, that is, I would say, that happiness is the most important thing in the life.
1: When you begin to write this, you must have had a, uh, an ideal reader in mind. Is this a person in management, or is this a book that's a little more broadly sculpted or broadly written for anybody that might endure or be influenced by conflict?
2: Actually, at first, it was in management, in my mind, um, based on my previous work with management teams and resolving conflicts with business. But uh, the more I go forward with conflict and uh, conflict management, I realize it's about every single human in the uh, society. So it's not uh, very specific and using very specific uh, term terminology to convey the uh, concept. I I try to use the the best possible way to convey the concept in the simplest way possible. So... I believe everyone can read and can enjoy the content.
1: This uh, concept of conflict is certainly written about by many authors. What is different about your book? Why is your book or your approach a little bit unique?
2: Uh, conflict management has been approached uh, by several uh, people in the academic in the, in the, as well as the business and the industry. But uh, I believe I have approached it uh, from a different point of view and uh, uh, having an eye on the importance of happiness and uh, understanding conflict as a main part of the myth itself. It's it's a natural thing. It's a natural phenomena here, and uh, we have to deal with it. It's a natural thing that we have to learn and uh, to be adapted to it. So, so uh, it's not something external, but something academic. It's theorized. It's something natural that you have to live with it. So the, in English Happiness, the uh, art of conflict management, I believe the conflict management is not a theory. It, it, it's just an art. It's the art and the way you live your life to nature.
1: What would you say is the first step? If I am in a conflicting or difficult situation, how should I approach getting through that?
2: Uh, the first thing in conflict management is to understand and accept that conflict is natural. So, and, uh, and in, in the book, you, you, you find that the uh, have a definition for the conflict as a discomfort and uh, this difference. So whenever you feel discomforted, uh, there must be a difference between you and a second one, uh, your other party, your boss, your college, your society, even yourself. So there would be a difference that is discomforting. So this is the first step to find out what is, difference, what is there, what is there that is different from my thing that is causing so such a discomfort. This is the first step.
1: You have uh, taken philosophical concepts from Tao and uh, yin-yang and and nature's equilibrium and some other things and incorporated them in the book. This makes it a little bit unique as well. Uh, Explain the yin-yang equilibrium. Why is that something that we should be aware
2: of? Actually, uh, it's all that uh, changed my way of thinking towards nature. Yin-Yang describes the nature to be cons- uh, a complete and complex system of yin and yang, black and white, good and bad, uh, beautiful and uh, ugly. So it's all there. It's all conflict, all there in a, in a very harmonized, very well-designed uh, system. So when you look at the nature, you you, you will enjoy the beauty of the nature. You, uh, the scenery, everything. But, in, in the, if you go in detail, you will find multiple and numerous conflicts between male and female, between, uh, um, you, you can find it everywhere, or even in a flow of a river, when it comes through a, a rock, there will be a conflict in nature. But, uh, it's very well designed, and it's in, in, in the core of every movement in the nature. So, yin-yang describes nature as a Balancing between yin and yang, and I uh, incorporated it to better understand the, con- the concept of conflict as two different things, being different and being discomforting. So it's actually yin yang.
1: And it also can be in balance.
2: It can be and should be in balance. Should be in balance. Otherwise, we will be destroyed by it.
1: Ali, take a, a couple of uh, paragraphs and explain to my listening audience why they should get a copy of "Embrace Happiness."
2: Uh, the first and the most important thing is, uh, I'll be very happy to hear that I mean, if they buy that. It is the first reason I, <laughs> I guess to would. But, <laughs> uh, I guess you would. I have I have an uh, extensive experience with different people on different workshops and different levels of uh, organizations like, with conflict management and negotiation skills. And I have seen the effects of using that technique in people's lives and I've enjoyed a great deal of having, uh, many people uh, using this concept and using the workshops, using that in, in their own lives and uh, realizing the benefits of that. and they were able to change their lives considerably. And I, I see that, and I always uh, love to uh, look at the happiness it, it, it brings. Uh, I receive uh, the notes, the emails, everything. That brings me uh, a huge amount of joy, actually. Well, I believe the book will help them, but the most important thing is, it's not reading the book, it's living the way it, uh, it says. It's just... You have to live the way you live your life, the way it is, to be able to get benefits
1: out of it. Beautiful title Embrace Happiness, a goal every one of us, I'm sure, are pursuing. Embrace Happiness, The Art of Conflict Management. Author Ali Soleiman Iyah has joined me from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Ali, where do my listeners get copies of your book? Uh,
2: actually, the Online through our universe uh, publishing site as well as Amazon and our chapters, in and Vigo uh, and every online publishing company and you know, uh, online bookstores.
1: Do you personally have a website developed yet?
2: Uh, I'm trying I to do that. I have a website, uh, com, but it's not uh, very well developed because I'm sort M- doing other jobs. Sure, but more.
1: More to come, then. And is there another book on yep. the horizon? Are you doing a follow-up book, perhaps, to another subject that relates to conflict management?
2: Absolutely, yes. I, actually, I'm uh, planning to uh, delve more into the practical, more practical and step-by-step approach to conflict management in the day-to-day life.
1: Our visit today has been with author Ali Soleimaniha. Thank you for joining me and sharing your story today. Thank you for having me. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on togynet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year.
1: Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Life in Babylon, a memoir of joy and anguish. And my guest author, who joins me from the state of New York, is Teresa M. Santman. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. We have a parallel history, not a parallel history, but uh, some commonality in the fact that your parents or grandparents had some connections with Canada. I am a Canadian by heritage and birth, and uh, that part is has nothing to do with your story, much, other than you did mention it in the front of your book. Your book is 260 pages. It's autobiographical in in nature. What prompted you to share your story?
4: It's very important to me that somehow that I leave something that might be of some value to people that follow. And so it seemed to me that if I was able to put down um, I guess what some people would call uh overcoming uh very difficult hardships that maybe they would be encouraged to uh look at their life a little more positively and uh one of my favorite things to say i'm not sure you'll be going on with this one, but um I don't like the three words um wish, hope, and try because mm-hmm. i when I tell people they're non do words so that I like to think that when you run into a problem, you don't wish. You just find a way to do it.
1: This is true. Your book is inspirational from that perspective. You also began your career, if you want to refer to it as that, as a high school or or a college student working in the food industry and progressed from there into nursing. Share a little of that story.
4: Well, since my husband was disabled, we had to find a way to be able to care for him and hopefully make a living. And that's how come I started first with an adult home. Um, I renovated a four-apartment building into an adult home, one room at a time. I did a lot of spackling and painting and so on. So my husband was my first patient. And from there, that grew to 69 patients. And then after that, uh, somehow, I managed to be able to go on and build a nursing home, and I would like to say this part that I was the first woman in the state of New York to get an FHA mortgage to build a nursing home with only a woman's name on it. Um, and the, the, the nursing home again, it was um, it was very difficult because my husband lived for about three years after the nursing home was built. And so he was cared for from the Little Flower Residence, which was the adult home that I started. So it wasn't uh, an easy pull anywhere in that those years, those many years.
1: And for the sake of my listeners, your your husband had contracted ALS and uh, lived a, a long time with that disease.
4: Yes, he was a student at uh, Columbia University, for, uh, working for a PhD in experimental psych and he started getting weak. And from there then we moved to Long Island and, and it it just continued to deteriorate uh until he became totally disabled and he he was on um the need of, of air and um at the all the way at the end tube feeding and it was really very, very difficult as he continued to deteriorate at a slow but very intense rate. Where he he became so disabled that um for instance, he was in the hospital for many, many days, almost a month, and during that time, there was everything that was done to save his life as I was pleading with the staff to basically keep him alive, and they tried everything they were so very wonderful the hospital, good Samaritan hospital, where he was. And They did everything all the way from as I, through my pleadings to even uh, getting an iron lung out of the basement for goodness sakes. My goodness. And they, they um, so he did manage to live through that uh, really per- pretty horrific uh, period, and then he lived for about two years after, two or three years after that, and then died um, in the village of Babylon in the house across the street from the adult home.
1: That's a very devastating disease. I just had a very close friend that also succumbed to that, and ALS is also known as the Lou Gehrig's disease by, I guess, common name. Uh, very difficult. You share other stories in your book as well. Not all of them are sad. Share some of the other observations that you enjoyed and are passing along to the uh, to the reader.
4: Well, one of the things that really was um, pretty exciting was doing what's called a solo cross-country uh, with that, it's not you don't really go across the country. But I was leaving Long Island, going um, past Manhattan and then down the Jersey coast. And I was doing very well. I was proud of myself. I was reading the, the maps. I don't think they're called maps, but whatever. And uh, going on, so I landed in um, uh, on, on, in New Jersey and then uh, went on to Atlantic City and landed there and came back up the coast. But I always. I'm usually a little bit late in starting. So now I'm coming back up the coast, and all of a sudden, well, it's not all of a sudden, it's gradually, it's getting darker and darker. So here I am now with absolutely no night flying. I'm by myself, and so I switched every single thing I could turn on, every, anything that looked like a switch in the plane, so at least I'd be seen. Mm. Now I'm getting up toward JFK. You know the John Kennedy airport, yes, and um, I figured, okay, I'll make a right there, and I should be doing quite quite well, so I make a right there and go east and f- to follow the coast until I get to my air- to my little airport at zones so anyhow as i'm as I'm making my right hand turn and I'm only maybe several just several minutes later, and I see the same identical set of landmarks oh boy there's two two times in my life that I have really been terrified. And this one is as if there was a hand that was crushing my throat. And I couldn't breathe. And I wanted to take that plane down so badly. I didn't care whether I was going to be landing at the airport itself or J- JFK or whether I was going to be landing on the beach or whatever. And then finally I said, well, get yourself together and look at your compass. So that's what I did. And with that, then I managed to be to continue the heading that was taking me, or east rather than west, and to be continuing east, and then finally I see the lights. They left the lights on at this airport yeah. uh, for me, and then I came on down. I didn't care how much I bounced on that runway, boy. I was coming down, and the interesting part about this is that there's two. There are two airports in that immediate vicinity. There's JFK, and then there's some kind of a military airport. So here were. Two airports with planes and runways and a bridge and a jet of land, which, let me tell you, it was, I'm not quite sure how I felt when I finally found that one out.
1: Are you still a pilot?
4: No, no. I finally got a pilot's license, but, you know, one of the things that when you become a pilot is that... The only way to enjoy is obviously flying, if you want to uh, sure. stay out practicing as a pilot. But then you have to land, and it's very limited. And, of course, people sometimes don't want to go with you. They don't quite well any or whatever it is. And who always wants to go to the same places over and over? So I decided to, instead to get a boat, mm-hmm. because with a boat, you can always throw out an anchor That's um, practically anywhere. Sounds good. Plus, yes. you don't want to back too many times in the ocean. But one of my feats that, was, that I got was quite, if I say so myself, um, a little out there. I had a 37-foot uh, boat and a quadriplegic husband and two young kids on the boat and only one in help for him. Hmm. And I took that out of from my home to Fire Island Inlet along the coast into New York Harbor past West Point through the locks that I'd never even seen. And then, because I was determined to get to Canada, and I managed to get to Lake Champlain, and then there, finally, I landed in Canada.
1: Wow. What a great <laughs> so, trip that must have been. I just, I admire anybody that goes to Canada. I love Canada, of course.
4: <laughs> but the funny part about it was, it was that here, I was so proud of myself. So now I, I dock, the, the first, I just wanted to say it then there. So here I docked this, this, the boat, and I'm getting off all puffed up with myself, and this is the funny part. And I I, I land, you know, I I a dock, and I throw out the ropes and so on. And now I step off, I stumble, and I fall to the, to the to the dock, and all my handbag things go sprawling all over. So here, that was my my dramatic entrance into Canada.
1: Well, Canadians are forgiving folks, so I'm sure they uh, they uh, welcomed you with open arms.
4: Yes, indeed.
1: Now, you also share some uh, fascinating history and insight into your culinary skills, uh, your, your your ability to cook. Uh, which of those stories did you share that uh, might be of interest to the reader?
4: I'm not quite sure. Uh, of, you said cook?
1: Yeah, cooking, Yeah, you, you mentioned that your skills were a little rudimentary at, at first. Well, when you...
4: Oh, yeah, well, that that's because, especially since I was the chief cook and bottle washer for a Little Flower Residence for, for many years. So there were, <laughs> I'm not sure how, they, how any audience will be taking this, but things like uh, that I learned to cook, and in fact, people kind of enjoyed, a, at least if they didn't complain, but tongue is an example, or liver, or uh, different different, uh, one of my um, endeavors, trying to feed the, the number of people as the group was growing and keeping everything done at the same time.
1: You, you mentioned that you uh, had an incident with uh, cooking a chicken. That's included in the book. That uh, was a surprise. There were some surprises in that, uh, that adventure. Uh, which of the stories do you think are going to be the most fascinating or enjoyable? You've mentioned a couple that are just great uh, but the reader is going to find it just uh, to be the pivot point in your book.
4: Well, the, the variations are, are rather uh, all over the ballpark. Uh, for instance, a hospital study tour in Russia, uh, nineteen—I think it's seventy-nine. Russia was such an interesting place to be, and it was basically still kind of threatening, mm. and you were being watched all the time. There were no women automobile drivers there the, the, the were old women that were and this what by the way, the old women part that I'm going to mention um, they they were out in the streets with brooms that were made out of twigs on a branch and they were sweeping the streets and they were all over. It was really interesting and then in one in one area where we were supposed to be seeing a farm, a farm and how it was being run. And so we went into this into this area and then at the end was going to be the the um, well we were we were I think at, at that time in a race with Russia on outer space. Yes. Well anyhow, so now the first part of it was that at the farm there were no animals. They only there were, were there were facades of the as if you were going to be, you could be walking into a barn, but the whole framework of it was a facade, almost like you would put up a sign. Only well, it wasn't a sign; it was a facade of a whole building.
1: Mm, sounds like a movie set almost.
4: Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a, that's a good way to put it. And then when we uh, managed to say hello to some some military troops, that and boy, when he he responded, was he hushed up in a hurry? And then as we were con- continuing to go through where the where the the outer space um, situation you know, that was being shown, uh, at least portions that were rather interesting. And um, as soon as I said something to, to a girl, uh, one of their um, people that were leading us, trying to identify a little bit more, because I was awfully curious about where they were compared to us, and let me tell you, she shut me up in a hurry. She wasn't about to give any information
1: uh, Teresa, share with my listeners why they will find life in Babylon, uh, not only an interesting read, but one that they just must have.
4: Hmm. Well, it seems to me that one of the things that uh, that might be um, helpful, hopefully, or something like that, although I don't want to use hopefully, right, is that uh, no matter how little you have as far as worldly goods in the world, and you—you you want to, whether it's uh, education that you'd like to get, whether it's forwarding your um, standard of living, or whatever. It, it, there's almost nothing that, if if you continue to work and think hard enough, that you can't accomplish.
1: Your book is a positive read for sure. You have been an accomplished contributor to the health industry, healthcare advocate, entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and now an author. This your second release. Your first one titled "In Gratitude to My Guardian Angel." So thank you for sharing your story. Where can my listeners get a copy of "Life in Babylon," a memoir of joy and anguish?
4: The the general uh,
1: iUniverse will have it. I know, and yes. Amazon probably.
4: Yes. Yes, and it's already got two five-star reviews. How
1: about that? Incredible. They can do a search (laughs) under the name of the book and probably find it without any difficulty. Life in Babylon, a memoir of joy and anguish. And Babylon actually is Babylon, New York, a city, not the uh, historical, biblical Babylon. But uh, you've shared uh, some interesting stories and, and some that will... Uh, amaze, astound, and inspire the reader. So I suggest that uh, my listeners go and get a copy of this. Teresa M. Santman has been my guest. And if you do a search online, Teresa spelled T-H-E-R-E-S-A middle initial M, last name S-A-N-T M-A-N-N. Thank you, Teresa, for joining me today. Are you planning a follow-up book?
4: Uh, No, I I think I'm going to be kind of Taking it easy now for a
1: while. Going back to the yacht, well, or the boat, yeah. or the, or, or the <laughs> canoe, like that. whatever it is. Teresa, thank you for joining me today. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio.
0: We'll be back right after these messages.
3: Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com.
0: To iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is The Cloud. Author Frank Pelascandolo has passed away. His daughter Donna, who also was involved in the editing of this book, has joined me. She joins me from the New York City area in the United States. Donna, welcome to the program.
5: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: This was your dad's final written work. He was a, I would call him, a fairly prolific author. How many books did your dad write?
5: I would say uh, published and unpublished, or published and self-published, probably 12.
1: 12 books. He also...
5: Yeah, plays, oh, poetry, my. 25.
1: His plays, were they ever produced in a, a broad fashion, or how were they accepted or received?
5: I'm more in local theater, in local theater, and some he just kept himself, you know, as a matter of fact, very interested in possibly, now that things have settled down after his passing, is, you know, further promoting, because I actually think his plays are some of his best work, and, uh, but he kind of kept them close to the best.
1: Uh, Mr. Pellascandolo was a very interesting gentleman from what I am reading. He decided that it was time to set the record straight on some important thoughts that he wanted to convey, and that's how this book came about. 110 pages. Donna, explain or share your understanding of what the inspiration was behind your dad's writing this book.
5: So, having studied him and, and having done the, you know, basically some of the excerpts that we're referencing, you know, his main thing was that he had lived to be almost 96, two months short of 96. And he had lived through probably one of the most violent centuries in history. And he, he was born in 1917. And I guess just post World War I, during the Spanish influenza, then, then the Great Depression, he served in World War II. Was on the streets as a young social worker in the uh, in some of the roughest neighborhoods in New York City, where he did uh, a, his main career uh, was as a criminologist. And he uh, so he came from a large um, Midwestern family in New York City that was there for 75 years. He just had seen it all, you know. And he'd say he'd say to us oh, oftentimes, he's, you know, we'd be complaining about finances in the market, and he said, "Oh, you've never seen a raging bull." You know, uh-huh. or raising bear market or whatever, but he, to basically say, hey guys, you're still, you know, you're so young and so unexposed. So I think when he was looking at um, his life in retrospect, um, so unusual that he chose the whole concept of the lack of respect for life, net, net, the whole concept of abortion, to be his Jeremiah. Act. You know, he wanted to basically say, As I look back, and as I reference humanity, which I have loved and hated, more or less, that he he felt that this was the greatest, greatest violence. And that, in essence, that there would be, it was a warning. It was a warning, he'd say, it was a warning from an old man who's seen so much life. And we all thought it's very unusual, because he actually started to write this book about four years before and had named it the cloud before there was the Internet Cloud. So we kept saying, Well, you know, they got there first. But the reality was is that he uh he felt very deeply about that. And so it it, it so is a fictional
1: work too, isn't it? Uh, although it's, it's
5: it's a fictional it's, work, but it reads very short, okay? And it reads almost like an abstract of a novel. And I kept when we were doing some um, he was up visiting with me at my other home so and we were visiting we were revisiting some of the late copies. and I said, "You just got to beef this up. It's just too intense. And he said, "No, that's on purpose. Hmm. You know I don't I don't want to have to explain everything. And it is somewhat um, how would you say uh, it's so realistic and yet it's so fantasy. And that counterpoint was interesting to me too. The white couch this tremendous sadness that you have been something that's so almost phantasmagoric, you know. I mean, it really was um, the energy in it and some of the things that happened are, uh, you know, he just wouldn't have put them together, or at least I wouldn't have seen them as secretaries. So basically, um, it was an energy that he had to expel, and it was just fascinating to me as to why at that time why the subject. Uh, That's basically what I can say about it. But he had lived and he'd seen a lot, and he wanted to say, he wanted to
2: say.
1: Your dad was a very bright individual, even up until the last days of his life. A very, very bright, well-read, had a, a broad perspective on life, and had this compassion or compulsion, I guess would be the right way to describe it, to share some final thoughts. Perhaps that's how he was looking at this book. How long did it take to complete?
5: was probably working on it from when he had started it, dropped it, picked it back up maybe a year, a year and a half. A year, a year and, it and a had half. he a, diff- a lot of different forms, you know, in the sense of when the seed and then how he started to develop it. I still feel that given perhaps he had some sense his vitality and so forth, and I think he was rushing towards the end to complete it. And he and I would go back and forth over this because I was doing some of his uh, his communication and his literary management on it. And I'd be, you got to, he still kept saying, slow down. This has got to be beefier. There's too much story here. And he'd say, you know, I don't have time. Amazing. And so, again, that energy of wanting to get this message across was so strong that I think in some cases he kind of rushed it. And But, again, I don't know if it could have been written by somebody. 30, I You know understand. he's brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. You know, the man probably read 10 books a week. Um, he was very versed. He did a lot of poetry. He did dialectical translations from Neapolitan uh, poetry. He was um, both popularly and as well as academically appreciated. But I'm not really sure that was all that important to him. And that's why I think he started to self-publish. He just kind of wanted to get it out there. You know, he had been through a lot of the rigmarole of, of uh, the standard publishing news, and he was, you know, kind of doing his own thing, especially in his retirement years.
1: Yes. Uh, he has a couple of main characters. One he called the Little cor- Colonel, and another a young college grad from New England, Abigail Simpson. Do you recall what his thought was in why these characters were important to him?
2: Yes.
5: I think that Abigail Simpson, of course, represents um, the, you know, the young, um, innocent, uh, a very impressionable college girl. I think that she's educated in England uh, uh, I believe. And, uh need. And uh, becomes very, very involved in the struggle in South America, the drugs, you know, the drugs the drug wars in South America. This, again, is, is there are a lot of themes here as far as things that have gone bad. Okay, so without giving away the story, there we get involved with, um, with uh, kind of the incredible violence of the South American drug trade. In any event, this young girl gets involved with, um, gets involved with wanting to be a do-gooder. Inspired by a professor, da and she becomes involved in something that's way, you know, above her. And uh, she gets involved in kind of a guerrilla army, army down there.
1: And that's Bo- and, is that in Bolivia? Is that my understanding that the the story a lot of it takes place in Bolivia?
5: In uh,
1: or is it Mexico City?
5: No, no. Well, there's Mexico City. It's it's in the Andes in. Uh, uh, Chile in uh, Bolivia in that entire that entire Sorry area, mentioned. and then it moves on to mm. that disaster. But basically, this young girl is you know she's a you know she's a an min and she's captured by the you know the right and wrong of uh, in a rebel army that is fighting the drug cartels. It's fighting yeah, I mean everything. The, the police are dirty. That you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of government in cover up. There's everybody's hand is out. So again, you know, without giving away the entire plot, you're really talking about bad stuff. He's looking at bad stuff and kind of putting it together.
1: And he put and this to, and he put this together. It's, it's an action-packed novel, even though it's 110 pages. There's a lot going on.
5: Or well, as I say, I felt that it was almost you know condensed. Is, you know very very condensed that each chapter could have been four times its length um he introduced the characters the characters happen and then they kind of disappear mm. but the 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 actual essence of the book is it's a fantasy you know it's a, it's a it's a cool fantasy but it is rather fantastic you know the center character is an astronomer um and uh which is interesting because i'm married to an astronomer
1: Oh, that and, is a yeah. fascinating sidelight.
5: Yeah, yeah. My dad is always fascinated by, by astronomy. He's always fascinated by physics. I mean, anything. He would, you know, get the books and start reading. But um, And it's hard. I, it's very hard for me to describe exactly without giving the plot away. But basically, it is um, as if the whole world, meaning the animals, the animal kingdom, Almost all an animal farm type of energy. The whole the whole living world is looking at man to kind of fix it. Mm-hmm. He's in charge. That's essentially the theme. You know, he's taken. You know, man has taken point, but the rest of the universe isn't so sure that's the way to go. Okay, and what he considers to be the greatest violation is to destroy oneself. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. That makes so sense. that is the underlying message then. It's a, a basically a warning to the to the it reader.
5: My it is a warning. It is like, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Yeah. Kind of literally and figuratively when you see when you read the book. Um so, you know, that's what I guess he felt was man's greatest in humanity to man was yes. to destroy itself. You know, and of course there's reference to war. There's reference to um uh, when we were when we're talking about the uh, the drug issues mm. and the senseless killing. And, you know, uh you know, so you, so again we go back to Abigail and the innocent and then the absolute decadence at the end. So why he chose that at this point in life, never having even discussed it with any of us if mm. three daughters, I think it would have come up with point
4: you know know what I'm saying? Just
5: as far as where his energy was on it. So when I first read it, I was really surprised that he had taken such umbrella and so fiercely said, come on, you know. But, of course, the book is in flashback in a lot of ways, too, where the whole universe is kind of looking at, you know, meaning all of the animals, you know, all of the living creatures is basically saying, you know, if we had to sit down on in a, a TV screen and flash through all these things, what would we be thinking and now? You,
1: and would you describe this book, the reader, when they finish this? Are they going to be inspired or are they going to be challenged?
5: That's a really good question. I think uh, they could be they could be effective and possibly more challenged, especially it's... yeah, especially in today's day and age. Yes. Um, there's there's a tremendous tremendous sense of naturalism in here too because you know some of his uh, some of his reflections are you know from other diverse creatures. Mm. Okay. Because so it's hard to, it's hard, to explain hard, here. hard to really nail but it down. But if we had sure. if my dog had to kind of look at what was going on on TV. You know? I got gotcha. you. What would if he could talk?
4: If he could what talk, would, he what would he say? Could he
5: make sense out of you know what happened yesterday in Paris? You know, could mm-hmm. he make sense of of nine eleven? You know, could he you know and all the all that
1: all, all those so, philosophical and yet, questions? Yet we
5: consider ourselves so special that we we inherited the earth. Well, like, what are we doing with it?
1: Because of the circumstances of the book the history of the author and the age of the author. This book is a fascinating read and obviously by a gentleman who really had his wits about him and was uh, very articulate. The uh, title of the book again is The Cloud. The author, Frank Peles Condolo, and his daughter Donna has joined me today. Where can my listeners get a copy of The co- of the Cloud?
5: Uh, on our universe, and uh, it, is, it is available. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I think they have a blog that goes with it. If they, people want to post any questions or any comments, that'd be super. I'd be happy to answer it because, as I say, I work very intimately with this, uh, with this book with him. And he was very, um, you know, very forthright about his, his need to get it out to have his say. So I'd love to hear what other people have to say about it.
1: Are there any of his other books in print that people can access, or have they been long since?
5: Yes. If you go on yes. the iUniverse uh, site, he did decide to self-publish uh, hmm, probably seven or eight books with him. Incredible. His original, his original uh, he started writing uh, actually in the 50s and was commercially, you know, commercially uh, published. Um by Crown in those years, and the first book was Rumble on the Docks, which was you yeah, know quite well done. But uh, Man in the Cassock, The Kamara, Arrow Sun Down, uh, The Wild Truth—all of those have been have been done. As well as he did some very interesting things as regards his history. We saw a lot, and he had a good sense of humor, and he did uh he did kind of a kind of a semi semi fictional historical book on that. They did, my parents did a cookbook, even though my dad didn't fry an egg, but they, uh-huh. my mother could. And what they did was they took all the, you know, the uh, archive of recipes and put together a small cookbook. I think more as something to leave us, but they published it through our universe as well.
1: Donna, thanks for joining me today and sharing your father's story. Okay. Listeners, you can find more of Frank's work, Frank Pelescondolo, by doing a search under his name books and his history online if you do a search under his name last name is spelled p-a-l-e-s c-a-n-d-o-l-o you'll be able to find these books and others uh, also at the iUniverse site so thank you Donna for sharing this very intriguing insight into your father's life and his writing
5: oh you're welcome Jay appreciate your uh, following up
1: for iUniverse this is Jay Douglas Barker